Hello, everyone, and welcome to Art City Radio, a weekly podcast about art, architecture, and urban design. This is Mary Louise Schumacher. As many of you undoubtedly already know, two Milwaukee artists made their way onto Project Runway this season. It was the first time, in fact, in the show's 12-year history that two designers hailed from the same hometown. The very fact that Miranda Levy and Timothy Westbrook were also visual artists made the whole thing oddly irresistible for me. I ended up at the bar at the Iron Horse Hotel with other people in the art community every week on Thursdays, and we got together to rag on the misadventures up on the runway. What I never touched on, though, in all of those weeks of writing recaps of this trashy TV show was one of my initial reactions to Miranda. I met her at the Intercontinental Hotel before one of the very early episodes of the show. We settled into couches in the bar, and I asked her why some of her designs seemed to resemble her military uniform. Miranda is a veteran in the U.S. Army. At that point, Miranda told me a story. It was the most compelling tale to come out of my Project Runway coverage, and it had nothing at all to do with the fashion-fueled melodrama up on the screen. I was struck by her poise. I was struck by her willingness to come out from behind a pen name. I was struck by the story of how the military both saved and nearly destroyed Miranda. You'll hear this story from her today in her own voice. It's the first time she's telling it publicly. Later in the show, Adam Carr talks about his reaction to a cross-country art happening that's got the whole art world buzzing. It's a big art train stopping in cities across America, decamping like a giant art-fueled circus. It's called Station to Station, and Adam and I saw it together in Chicago this week. Finally, Art City contributors Stacy Williams-Ung, Peggy Christensen and Karen Wolf are on the phone with their recommendations for art to see this weekend. Okay, here's my interview with Miranda. All right, so Miranda, let me just ask you, why did you decide to join the Army? Well, I joined the military when I was 17, um, in part to pay for college. Um, I grew up in a really small town of Wilton, Wisconsin, and Mm -hmm. I didn't really know how else to pay for art school. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also really wanted to be able to travel the world and probably subconsciously connect with my father because he was also in the military. So it's the classic reason, right? To get out of a small town, to get that education, to see the world a little bit. Tell me a little bit about why it was a way of connecting to your dad. Well, my dad was in the military for just about 30 years. Um, When I was in first grade, he actually went to Saudi Arabia. And Mm -hmm. when he came back home, he was quite changed. Um, He wasn't the father that I really remembered. And he really wanted to connect with my brothers through doing mechanics work and and boy things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really wanted to prove that... um, I could connect with him and I could do exactly what what he could and and show him that I could be a soldier so he could be proud of me probably. <laughs> yeah. And tell me about and you ended up becoming a mechanic too. Tell I did. me a little bit about your conversation with your recruiter and how you 
chose that particular job within the military? Well, when I um, was first trying to figure out jobs in the military, um, my recruiter offered me a pencil-pushing job, which is kind of like a secretary position, and a few other positions, I think even a sewing job. Um, And then he told me that he had a mechanic position open, but he didn't save it for me because I was a girl. <laughs> and at 17, I, I said, well, that's the job I want. How, how dare you tell me that yeah. I can't have that job? Mm-hmm. I, can, I can do anything. And, and that's what I chose to do. Yeah. And, and what was it like when you got, actually got into the military? You went to boot camp and so forth? Yeah. I, I actually loved boot camp. Um, I loved wearing the uniform. I, I loved working out. And I liked the camaraderie that there was amongst the soldiers, and it, it was kind of a, a sense of, of family that mm-hmm. I never knew that I would have um, mm-hmm. joining the military. I absolutely loved going to school for mechanics. Um, Fixing I, big trucks. Yeah, and <laughs> I actually, I, my job was uh, 62 Bravo, which is a construction equipment mechanic. So okay. I... I fixed everything that you see that fixes roads, um, scrapers, mm-hmm. graders, vibe rollers, and tracked vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to learn how to drive all of them as well. Wow. So that was really great and really empowering. Um, it taught me how to piece puzzles together. Yeah. And it was really incredible for me to be able to look at a book and troubleshoot something and realize that I could solve the problems mm-hmm. myself. And mm-hmm. And I was a woman doing this job, and I could mm-hmm. do it, and I could do it really well. Yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about what the military gave to you. We, we talked about this once before. You talked about how it gave you something that you didn't get from your own family in terms of values and Yeah. Um, there's these, the seven Army values are loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor. Mm. Is that seven? <laughs> L-D-R. Sorry. It's okay. Okay. Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service. Here, hold on. I gotta write this down. <laughs> I know them. Do you have a pen? I do. Funny. <clears throat> the military gave me a set of guidelines, and the acronym is LEADERSHIP, which stands for loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, independence, and I don't know. Something. Ba, 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 ba. What begins with a P? Pride? Pride, maybe. I don't know what the P is. Tell me what that meant to you. I mean, you you talked before about how your family life, there were things missing. I I grew up in a pretty abusive household. And going into the military and having this new family and kind of... um, I guess stability in my life was wonderful at a young age. It, it really gave me a sense of purpose and and drive, and that's something that I continue to take with me throughout my life since I've been out. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about what the military took away from you too, mm-hmm. um, because that's the other side of this story. It gave you a lot. Right. But it also took some things away. What are those? Yeah. The military gave me a lot that I use in my life. But being a woman in the military was a lot tougher than I thought. Um, You know, 
I look back at that moment when the recruiter told me that he didn't hold that mechanic job for me. And in my stubbornness as a teenager, of course I wanted it, and I wanted to prove that it was a position that I could hold, and I, I did. I proved myself, but I didn't realize that maybe he was trying to protect me because being a female mechanic in a predominantly male-dominated field and culture in the military was incredibly hard. I dealt with a lot of sexual harassment and abuse and it's something that after a while broke me down to the point that I didn't feel confident doing my job, which was unfortunate because I was really, really great at it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that abuse a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you you write in your book, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, about making a mistake with a Humvee. Yeah. And what transpired? Tell me about that. When I was on active duty... There was this time where I was working on a Humvee, which I don't usually work on because I worked on diesel vehicles, and someone had asked me to go fill the vehicle up and bring it back. That was Mm -hmm. my only job. Mm -hmm. So I went and I I filled the Humvee with diesel fuel, and Mm -hmm. it was supposed to take unleaded. (laughs) And they made a huge mockery joke out of it saying, how could you fit such a large hose into such a small hole and made pictures and laughed about it and wouldn't take it down. And it was humiliating. Um, It already was enough that I made a mistake and Mm -hmm. I felt embarrassed in front of my peers. But it it was something that they had to make sexual. They sexualized that. They sexualized it. And, And it was... It was awful. It, it was terrible, and it's something that, that shouldn't happen. And I hope um, in the future of women being in the military that this sort of thing stops. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't that I referenced that um, in the book because it was something that was really memorable. But it was every day. It, it was lewd gestures on every connotation. It, if... If I was going to change a tire, somehow it was sexual, and yeah. it, it was it was frustrating and disheartening um, because all I really wanted to do the whole time I was there is just be a good soldier and be a good mechanic and and right. do my job. Right. And when you're in the military, you think about an enemy. You mm-hmm. don't you don't think about the people around you yeah. being. I don't know. Yeah, a, your I, adversary somehow. Right. right? Had I known um, joining the military, if had I known that the male soldier was going to be my biggest enemy, mm-hmm. I may not have joined. Yeah. And it's really sad because you you think you're joining this family and then they're hurting you from the inside. Mm-hmm. And the the thing with being in the military, it's different than any other job. If you're dealing with sexual harassment in in a workplace, you tell your boss, and if nothing happens, you can quit your job. Yeah. In the military, you can't. Right. And then also, the military is built on this idea that it is a family. Right. So part of you feels even bad for bringing it up because you, you feel like you're hurting your brothers and sisters by saying that you're feeling abused. Yeah. And you can't get away from it either, right? So No, you can't. <laughs> and I don't know to what extent you feel comfortable sharing this, but 
I would love for you to tell me what you can about getting away for the the weekend and what ultimately happened to you in the military. When I was, um, it was during my training for mechanic school, um, we were allowed to be able to go off post for the weekends. And the only place to go off post was a nearby town, and it was filled with hotel rooms. So all of the soldiers would um, pair up and get a hotel room together. So my female battle buddy and I would get a hotel room and Mm -hmm. the other soldiers would get theirs. And being a, uh, sorry, and being a mechanic in the military, I was, there were two female soldiers in my class and Mm -hmm. probably 25 male soldiers Mm -hmm. and then several other classes. So we'd all go off for the weekends and... We would get a hotel room. We'd go swimming. Um, there was, unfortunately, a lot of underage drinking as well. Um, and for me, when I was there, I I kind of felt, I think I say in my book, I felt like a, a mouse in a room full of cats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as that uniform comes off, you're sexualized even more. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's not like we were wearing anything risque. It was, you know, just go off for the weekend, wear jeans and a T-shirt. And when I, um, one morning when I was going out with two of my friends that I knew from my unit back home, um, they had invited me to go get tattoos. And I came into their room and there were a couple of other soldiers there that I didn't know. And at that time, I was pushed into the bathroom and raped by one of the soldiers that I had no idea who he was. Um, To this day, I still don't know his name. But the two soldiers that were in my unit did nothing to help me. And on top of that, when I went back to my active duty unit with them, they made jokes about it. And (laughs) it was... How do they make jokes about? I mean, tell me, what do those jokes sound like? I can't uh, even imagine. Just jokes about how I liked what was happening because they could hear the yells and just sexualized, perverse things towards me. Yeah. And it's it was so humiliating that I had to work next to these men every day and they did nothing to help me. Like, these are people that say that they're your brothers. And defenders. And defenders. And did nothing. Did nothing to help. And what did this ultimately do to you? I mean, this to have these events happen and then to have this ongoing assault, you know, these repeats of the assault in a way by people Mm -hmm. repeating it back to you and kind of throwing it in your face in that way. Um, You wrote in your book at one point, actually, you kind of open your book by saying, I think a lot about how women can exist and yet disappear in a domestic space, in a military space. So what was happening to you? I, when I was on active duty, I, I definitely felt like I was disappearing. The When I joined at 17, I was full of life and full of kind of piss and vinegar. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't let anyone tell me 
what to do. And towards the end of my active duty, I, I was fading away. I felt like I had no more voice. And I, I blended into the walls with my camouflage. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to be seen or heard. And I couldn't wait to, to be done. Yeah, because it was exhausting to wake up every day and know that I was going to have to deal with some sort of harassment, whether it was intentional or not, from these um, other soldiers. And I, I couldn't wait to be able to go to college and and expand my way of thinking. I I think I wrote in my book something like soldiers don't talk about politics or art. They they talk about sex and alcohol and war. Yeah. And I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. And you wanted to talk about art and music and yeah, culture. Definitely. And clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when you left and you went to college you, you know, where was your identity at that point? And how did you recreate it? And I know that mm-hmm. clothes was part of this, too. Tell me about that. Yeah, when I when I started college, a lot of the work that I was doing, I was really interested in making these wallpaper dresses and these rooms filled with wallpaper that I was photographing myself in, trying to blend into the space. And you were, let's just, for the sake of clarity, you were studying art, correct? I was. I was studying fine arts. Mm -hmm. Um, My degree was in photography and fibers. Every time one of my professors asked me to talk about the military, I was like, no, I I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to talk about it. It's not part of my life anymore. But in a way, I was exploring this loss of identity through a pattern and a print, um, and I really, I found later on that what I was doing was trying to explore and find an identity that, one, I had probably lost, but two, I don't think I ever really had. Mm-hmm. When you're 17. Because you're so young, right? Yeah. When you're, when you're 17, that's, or 18, that's when you start exploring, like, am I going to be punk or am I going mm-hmm. to be preppy? You know, you have these all these uniforms to try on from a store mm-hmm. to figure out your identity and who you are and where you fit in culturally. Yeah. Um, and at 17, I was given a uniform. Yeah. And I put that on and that was that was my identity. I was a soldier and I was a mechanic. So coming out of that was a huge exploration for me to figure out who who I was. And it's so interesting that you turn back to what you know in a way in the military. So you started mm-hmm. making a entirely different kind of camouflage for yourself. Right. Only it's more what, domestic maybe? Domestic, feminine. And and that's kind of what I I thought when I was doing it. I was like, well, I don't know how to build this domestic space mm-hmm. and I don't know how to be a woman. So that's what I thought I was exploring in my artwork of how how to be a woman. Yeah. And it at some point, because I think most of the people who are listening will be very, who probably know you from Project Runway mm-hmm. this last season, and will be very surprised to hear you had any love of big flowery fabrics. <laughs> <laughs> because at some point, your aesthetic took you back to your mili- your actual military uniform. So yeah. tell me about, because I know that has power and strength in it for you too, 
it's sort of, you know, you feel both the, the pride in that uniform, but also it represents difficult things. So what was it like to, to turn to that for inspiration for making clothes? Well, when I, after I explored all this idea of the military uniform camouflaging someone, I realized that it did something else as well. Mm-hmm. When you wore your Class A uniform or even your regular BDU uniform out into a public space where you weren't around other soldiers, you were the most identifiable person mm-hmm. and people kind of looked up to you and they would do things like buy you lunch and dinner and and you'd get free um, baggage check at, at the airport, which mm-hmm. still happens today. And, and there's this respect that is also really associated with the uniform. And mm-hmm. that is an amazing feeling as a soldier. And and for me, when I started creating clothing for women, I wanted them to feel powerful in that way, mm-hmm. to be the most recognizable person in the room, mm-hmm. to feel empowered and strong and beautiful all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that going back to the uniform in that way was really powerful for me. And that meant a very modern, crisp, tailored mm -hmm. aesthetic, right? Yeah, modern and tailored, structured, Mm -hmm. and and fit really well. That's Mm -hmm. what was really important to me. Yeah. So tell me about how you learned about the Veterans Book Project, this book that we've been referring to in our discussion. How did you discover that project? Um, I actually, uh, Nathaniel Stern from UWM contacted me telling me that Monica Holler was doing this Veterans Book Project and he thought I would be great for it. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I was still still reserved about my military experience and and I right away I said in my head and to my boyfriend I said no way I'm not doing this mm-hmm. and I kind of hemmed and hawed about it for a week and finally talked to Monica on the phone and she said look she's like you don't have to do this she's like but I'd love for you to just come in and talk to me and I had told her that I'm like, my story is no different than anyone else's. I was just a soldier, and this is what I did. The only difference that I have is that my dad was also in the military. Mm-hmm. And and she was like, well, just, just come in and talk to me. Mm-hmm. And when I went into the art museum to work on this with her um, or meet with her for the first time, mm-hmm. I cried for a good hour. And mm-hmm. it's the first time that I had ever just, like, wept over this experience that I had. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I realized if I'm having such a powerful response to this, that I should probably explore it. Mm-hmm. And up until the very end, she had told me that if I didn't want to have this book as part of the project, and that would be fine. I could just have it for me. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. And what was it like actually putting words down about your experiences? It was probably the best um, therapy I've ever had in my life. Um, Just being able to put my words on a page and write my story as an an individual experience Mm -hmm. was completely empowering. And you decided to not use your real name. Tell me why 
you decided to use a? I decided to use a pen name um, because I was honestly really scared at the reaction of my peers, um, the people that were in the military. I was honestly a little bit afraid that every time someone Googled my name that it was going to be this story. Mm-hmm. But after having people review it and look at it, I've had so much positive feedback and and people just being thankful that I was brave enough to share my story. Mm-hmm. And if this book can help even just one woman <laughs> in the military, that's all all that it really needs to do. Yeah. And what does it mean that you're now telling us? What is the name, first of all, that you used? Um, I used, is it? It's supposed to be Christina, but it says Katrina Levy. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, it's my great-grandmother's name. And I chose her name because she also was in um, the Czech Republic and moved to the United States during the war and mm-hmm. changed her name um, from Christina with a C to a K mm-hmm. and then Levy from L-E-V-I to L-E-V-Y. Okay. So that it meant something to me to choose a name of a woman who also had to choose her name to keep something, yeah, you know, keep keep heritage or keep something disguised to like save yeah. save herself. Yeah. And what does it mean now that your actual name will be associated with this book? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I'm really hoping um, because of being on Project Runway that. That's such an incredible platform. And if people can now search my name and see this book and see the real story mm-hmm. behind my life, mm-hmm. I think that's incredible. Um, I think in the past several years, there has been more and more talks about um, assault in the military towards women. And I think it's something that is changing and there are people in place right now that are continuing to be policy changers. And I'm hoping that something like this, even even in a small way, really highlights what is happening so those changes continue to be made. Yeah. And the, the way you asked it in your book is really lovely. And I'm just going to read that. Mm-hmm. You, you asked the question, how does the Army create killers that don't rape? Mm-hmm. That seems like a pretty good question to put out into the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to say for what it's worth that um, you definitely have my respect, and I want to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. Next up, we have Adam exploring Station to Station, the brainchild of art world hotshot and multimedia artist Douglas Aiken. Adam and I took the train to Chicago together for this one night happening that included art-filled yurts, organic food, a bullwhip, a marching band, posters by Ed Ruscha, and music performances by Mavis Staples and No Age, among many other things. Leaving Milwaukee, we sat on the west side of the train. We hoped to see the police horses in Walker's Point as we went by, but we forgot all about them as we were talking. We started actually drafting a list of people we thought were the most irreplaceable in Milwaukee's art community. We talked about our dads, 
We talked about empathy. We talked about this podcast and our hopes for what it might become. Through it all, Adam was just kind of Adam, geeky, thoughtful, present, and with a mind that was just sling-banging around relentlessly. At the event, somewhere between the marching band and a couple of redheads who started a set up on stage, pretty much just banging on their guitars, Adam seemed to change. It's kind of hard to explain, but sweat was pouring off of him, and he looked mad, pursed in a kind of all-over way. He seemed caught somehow between being enthralled and ferociously peeved. Any reaction that strong warrants some exploration, and I asked for one. So here's Adam. It's a train ride that I've done many times before. Walking down the side of the Amtrak train and coming out into that space is something that I always look forward to. Yes. Yeah, so there was this, there was this marching band, and it was up in the balcony, beautiful marble balcony. And all you could really see was, you could see, you could see the, like, the top of a flag, you could maybe see like, like a drum, you could see a hand, and there was full performance up on the balcony, obstructed and removed from the crowd. They were giving us their shadows, they were giving us their echoes, but I thought like that was a really gutsy and interesting and kind of alienating thing to do. At that point, I kind of looked around at people's faces a little bit, and I just saw kind of a coolness. And when I think I read too much into it, I was kind of thinking about segregation, and I was thinking about race, and I was thinking about... That was when the snap happened, when I was looking around at everyone and I was seeing them and what they were doing. I wanted the crowd to rush up to see what it was. Well, you know what made me really happy in that moment? And I wouldn't have if snapped. If people were talking to each other and whispering into each other's ears about, wait, what's going on? What is this? What is this? Why? There was no, I didn't see any of that kind of speculation. Maybe people were just wrangling inside of themselves, but I was wrangling really hard and I wanted to turn to the person next to me and grab them by the shoulders and say, what is happening right now? What are they telling us right now? So then, the marching band came down amongst us, and they performed. I was already gone by then. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel like that act had closed the distance for me. Yeah, I was petulant. It just, I was petulant and I also felt hurt. I was like ravenous. I think that's what it was, and I was impatient. That's been something I've been thinking about, which is that kind of seeking the feast without digesting your last meal, you know? And I was there, and I was there to feast. I think maybe what it was is I really wanted to be at a banquet, and I felt like maybe I was just there by myself, amongst other people who were there by themselves. I know that I am being unfairly judgmental. I know that. I have no idea what anyone else was experiencing. <sighs> Maybe I was just trying to feel too hard. <laughs> and it uh, didn't, didn't come back. Now it's time to talk about your weekend. 
As I do, I invite the Art City contributors to call in with suggestions for things to do on the weekend, art to see, and other events. Here is Karen, Peggy, and Stacy with their recommendations. Hi, this is Art City contributor Karen Wolf calling in about The Loneliest Gods, the new show by T.L. Celine that's going to be opening at Tory Foliard this Friday. Um, the reception with the artist is from 5 to 7.30. I think he's an artist we all know and love. It's, he does a great job of um, having both beauty and the dark side of humanity to, wedded together in his work, and I think it'll be a wonderful night. Enjoy. Hi, it's Peggy Christensen, and I am eager to get to the Museum of Wisconsin Art in West Bend. There's the Edward S. Curtis and the Vanishing Race Photography Show, and it's uh, such an interesting view of North American Indians that he did over 30 years. And I didn't realize that he was born in Wisconsin. As an anthropology major in the 70s, Edward S. Curtis was sort of a dirty word because of his manipulation of the images that he created. However, I think the museum's been done a good job of contextualizing that. And I think it's great that at the same time they have uh, an exhibit by Tom Jones, I'm an Indian first and an artist second. He's a Madison artist whose work is about the identity of the Ho-Chunk community. And then there's also an exhibit by Mark Mulhern, and he, I, he's such an incredible painter. So, got to get there. Hi there. This is Stacy Williams-Ung calling with a recommendation for an art show this week. I would recommend going to see Shifting Boundaries, which is a solo show by Tori Tash. That's spelled T-A-S-C-H. Tori is an awesome printmaker and artist and bookmaker who um, I knew when I used to be an artist in residence at Redline, and Tori still teaches there. And this is a show of the kind of fussy little artworks that sort of um, contemplate on womanhood and femininity and memories and nostalgia. If you've ever seen the kind of artwork where there's much, much layers and lots of little assemblages and little spools of thread and little, little dolls, there's a lot of that out there, but there's very little of it that really is wonderful, and Tori's is really, really wonderful, in my opinion. So I hope you enjoy it. It's at the Inaba Tea Room, which is on the lower level of the Garden Room in Shorewood. Enjoy. This has been Art City Radio, a weekly podcast about culture in Milwaukee. This is Mary Louise Schumacher. I'm the art and architecture critic at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Art City is produced by Adam Carr. You can follow me on Twitter at Art City, and you can follow Adam at A. Francis Carr. For more about the stories you've heard today and other coverage, go to Art City, jsonline.com slash Art City. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.